Hey everybody, this is the Movie Pals Podcast with Nabil, Marco, and James. Today we are going to go over a mini review of Kiki's Delivery Service, one of uh, Studio Ghibli's, one of their uh, most popular films actually, and also going over the brand new World War II film Dunkirk. Two um, very good films. Yeah, definitely. Two different films. Two, yeah. Two solid films, if anything. We're going to go over what we've been watching. A um, couple little news uh, articles, topics that we found out here. A topic of the week provided by Marco this week, followed by the reviews, and then a little bit about what we'll be doing after that. Hey, what, what you watching? So, Marco, yes, what sir? have you been watching? Uh, so, for the past week or so, I've been watching the Netflix show El Chapo. Which is, <laughs> yeah, which is based uh, on the drug lord, El Chapo. Yeah, um, it's a crime drama. It revolves around his legacy. Quote, I'm put quotes on that. I'm doing air quotes on that. His legacy is a drug lord um, in Latin America. But I have a bit of an issue with it because of the fact that it doesn't really delve deep into who El Chapo really is. And I'm basing this sort of in comparison to the Netflix show Narcos, which follows the life of Pablo Escobar. Uh, or, I almost thought you were talking about Narcos. No, no, no. <laughs> nar, nar, no, not to be confused with Narcos. We are talking about Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, who is notorious for escaping out of maximum security prisons. So um, the show follows his career as a drug trafficker, but... I feel like it doesn't really focus too much on his notoriety because if you hear the the stories and the legends of El Chapo and you watch the news, um, you'll you'll see that uh, people fear him. Like you don't, you, he's not a character that you mess with at all. And I don't think that the TV show really portrays that. So the fear of the legend of El Chapo wasn't really there. Yeah. You don't, yeah, exactly. You don't have any of the fear in there. Like, no one really fears him in the show. They just sort of bud heads with him, and he, you know, has beef with them. But I'm trying not to spoil too much of it because going into it, I didn't know much about El Chapo just from what I heard in, in the news. But watching the show, I was like, okay, cool. I get to see all the great things that I saw. Well, not great things, but all the horrible crap that happened. Um, in context. Yeah, in context, just like I did with Narcos and with Pablo Escobar. And sort of like a quick comparison, with Pablo Escobar, you see him develop as a character. You see him start as just a, a, a Robin Hood type character uh, in Colombia, and you watch his empire rise, and with it, his power too, and his influence. It gets to the point where everyone is fucking scared shitless to mess with this guy or to point fingers with them you you either take his money and do his bidding or you die and i feel like with el chapo it's not like that it's very middle of the road it's like he gives an order or he tries to make a decision and everybody sort of looks at him like you're fucking crazy we're not going to listen to you and it's kind of opposite of the image that i've gotten you know in the media and i'm this show is made by univision and not Netflix. It, it was oh, a partnership. Okay. Oh, yeah, they partnered with Netflix to release it. Oh, and cool. this is just my personal opinion. I think that maybe they just wanted to like kind of hold back and not really idolize the character. Yeah, which Netflix doesn't really do. But 
I feel like the Netflix show Narcos sort of humanizes the character and you care about the decisions that Pablo Escobar and his organization does. You are really captivated by it and you're immersed in it. And I don't feel that with El Chapo. It's a good show. Yeah. It's violent. Uh, it's entertaining. But I don't think that it's strong. The characters, I think, are kind of weak in it. They're, Does he seem really... like more like kind of like a, it's like a generic drug based kind of uh yeah show yeah i mean if you're into crime dramas and you like stuff with like gangsters and mafias and cartels then this is for you and i i recommend it it's only seven episodes and i'm on the fourth or fifth episode uh given narcos is 10 episodes and already has two seasons so they had time to develop their characters a little bit more but uh even even still if they if they knew that they were only going to do this one season with seven episodes, I, I feel like they could have done a little bit better with developing the characters. That's all. I think they're just kind of bland. There's there's no really solid good guys or bad guys in in it. Not that there there really is with a drug with a drug war. Right. But at least in in Narcos, you have kind of a backstory from each side, both from the DEA and government side, and also from the uh, the cartels. So it's kind of like an even spectrum where you kind of see where each side stands and their mistakes and so on and so forth. But you don't get that sort of development with El Chapo. So that's the only disappointing part. But yeah, that's what I've been watching in a nutshell. That's pretty interesting, though. I mean, it sounds like you've uh, you've got a passion for the crime, crime drama, especially for yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> comparing Narco to uh, I El like Chapo. watching really fucked up shit. I know. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty cool. What about you, James? What you got watching on uh, the last week or two? Truthfully, I haven't been watching too many TV shows since a lot of, like, even last time, a lot of my shows still have not come back. Uh, I've watched a couple of movies, though. I finished the fourth um, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Just want to let everybody know that. We're following along <laughs> on this uh, progression wow. of his. Yeah. He's, he's moving ahead. Yeah. James is moving in, he's digging deeper and deeper. <laughs> I'm diving in. Hole. just getting a little longer. That one was okay, not too bad. Uh, I also went and watched uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. As a fan of the other films, I'd say that this is a really good capping off of the trilogy. It's got some of the best mode capturing I've seen, especially with Andy Serkis. It's one of those things that's visually good looking. The story itself, I'd say, is very... Not not a picker-upper. It's pretty depressing. <laughs> yeah. Really bleak on the end of the human civilization, huh? Yeah, it's not one of those uh, ones you go in and you're like... Oh, I can't wait to see these apes get beat. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're going more for closure then to see how the story continues. Yeah, in a way. It continues or ends. Depends how you look at it for this one. But it, it wraps up the entire trilogy, I'd say, of this film really well. And the director, Matt Reeves, is going to be doing the Batman movie. So yes. I'm, I'm, looking, really, I'm looking, really looking forward to that. Because with what he's done with just the last two ape films, he didn't do the first one. But these last two have been super solid, great sci-fi films. I can't recommend them enough. So, uh, Outside of that, that's that's about all I've been watching. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen Planet of the Apes, the, the last one. But if if Matt Reeves is directing Batman, just based off of my knowledge from the second one, uh, that there's going to be a lot of epic shots, a lot of yeah. cinematography um, that's going to be really expansive shots. It's going to tell a story without actually having to. Yeah, cinematography on that film, too, is really well done. I'll say uh, there's some shots that pay a, like a watch to the original Planet of the Apes. So if anybody's a big fan of that, check it out. They have a ton of these little Easter eggs on here that are really cool. Nice. Um, 
I haven't been watching too many different things. I've watched uh, Ballers, oh, and yeah. I I really like Ballers. It's a show starring uh, The Rock, um, and he's basically playing a former quarterback who's a pro footballer um, and gets in some trouble, has to retire um, because of some injury, and ends up working at a, a firm that's trying to open up. Uh, it's an agency for him, and he's trying to open up a. Uh, sports division and the rock joins in to try to lead the sports division and get some clients and he ends up being the finance managers of a bunch of pro footballers um some basketball players and so on and yeah um the first couple of seasons of it was really good at fleshing out his character and, and showing it's kind of like an homage to entourage almost but yeah. from a different clip instead of being the star you're 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 just a manager you're just yeah. you know you're yeah. looking at the manager's perspective instead of the actual celebrity and this third season started out pretty well. Uh, I think, with the, with especially with it being three seasons, The Rock's really embraced the character and has really made it his own. Um, and you can see it's a little bit of his own personality, if, as you see him, like at least through other films or in interviews. But also kind of see the fun side of him and acting a little crazy and stupid on uh, when uh, there was some A-listers and some heavy hitter uh, football players. There's a lot of celebrity celebrity cameos in there too. I've seen the first and second season, so yeah, it's it's really cool how they get real athletes to go in and cameo in there from all sorts of sports and teams. So, and I like and like you were saying, Bill, the way that the Rock's character Spencer develops in the previous two seasons is actually really good, and in the second season specifically, you can see that he's more comfortable with the character. Yeah, there's definitely a story because even he's he said in interviews for that the character, even though he's. He, He's kind of respected by the other, you know, uh, people he manages, the other football players and, and sports and other athletes. He likes to party a lot. He likes to get a little raunchy. Um, <laughs> he's a bit of a, you know, womanizer to an extent. And he takes pride personally saying he's not like that. But he sure can play the character pretty well. <laughs> that's that's good to hear because I only watched the first season. As Nabil knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I never got... Like, I watched the entire season, and every week, like, there's maybe one or two parts I liked, but I don't know. It, that's good to hear that he's developed, because I always felt like that was one of the weaknesses of season one, is that he just kind of seems to be there. I agree, one. yeah. And Rob Corddry helps a lot in season one to kind of ground him a little bit more, because he's the one who's kind of like his boss and is trying to bring him down and say, this is what you're, The Rock, you know, is telling him this is what your job is, but... Yeah. Um, in the second season, there seems to be more growth for you know his character Spencer, the Rock's character, um, and Rob Corddry kind of takes a back seat. He's still there a lot. He's very much a part of the show, but you can see that, uh, like I said, the Rock gets a little bit more comfortable with his character and really fleshes it out. And Rob Corddry's kind of the voice of reason to an extent, and also causes a lot of chaos as well. Uh, I also think, and then like not getting too deep into spoilers on the show, but I feel like. They didn't really know if they were gonna get greenlit for a second season during the first season because the, the way it just ends and everything, it just seems like it's perfectly wrapped up right. into like one like small. Like, so mini it has series. an end. This yeah, is it. It, it it has like a true ending. Like most other shows, leave you on a cliffhanger or anything like that, and it doesn't. And I just don't think that they were confident enough that they were gonna get a second season. And you can tell just going into the second season that they get to explore like other areas and like go. Go different directions with the show. That's yeah. in my opinion. If you're a fan of The Rock, um, or if you were a fan of The Entourage, it's definitely a show that I recommend watching. Um, and they're short too, but it's only like ten episodes a season, so and a half an hour long, so um, you could probably burn through them pretty quickly. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll take a look at it again then. 
that everything you've been watching though? Yeah, that's all. That's it's been a, it's been a light couple of weeks to say that. Much. Not to mention everyone, we've also all obviously been watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, that's actually probably the one show I've been watching now that I'm sorry I'm coming back a little bit here, but um, solid so far. And I, I it's so hard to talk about Game of Thrones without spoiling things. But one thing I will say is that they're definitely not holding back right off the bat, and that they are getting really deep into the story. They're so one of the things that I've personally has bothered me with Game of Thrones and some of the other seasons is that they usually have like you know really like strong opening and then they have a bunch of I know there's only two filler episodes, episodes. Filler episodes yeah. and I know there's only been a couple episodes but it already feels like they're not going to be doing that with the announcement of the season being a little bit shorter than previous seasons yeah so I, I appreciate that and I think it's mostly because they've pretty much been able to not They've been greenlit not to have to wait for any more books to come out. They can just kind of move forward with yeah. whatever story they're trying to tell. Because yeah. that's what they were doing before, was trying to stretch it out as much as they can. But I think they've gotten as much as they can out of George R. R. Martin and have the direction that they need to go now. And they're just like, we're going to go gung-ho and we're not going to have to give you all these filler episodes. There's been a lot of momentum in the first two episodes that kind of driven you forward. That you probably, some of the things that have happened, probably wouldn't have seen to like, like you said, the opening episode and closer to the end of the season. Which is yeah. not always bad having filler episodes, of course, because it expands the story. But sometimes, I, I think a couple of the seasons, there's always like that episode six and seven that are just <laughs> yeah. like, was this necessary? Just throw away. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's nice because we're getting a lot more action, I think, and a lot more of the plot moving forward. And as opposed to the previous six seasons, sometimes... As well, season six was really well done yeah. in the fact yeah. that from point A to point B, from episode one to ten, it was very straightforward and you got a lot of payoffs basically last season. Yeah. And I think that's just going to keep continuing into this season as well. I agree. Okay, so we are moving on to the news. What's in the news? So a couple things happened here, especially in the last week, I would say, because of um, Comic-Con. Quite a few announcements. Our first piece here is there's been a rumor here about Ben Affleck is not going to be Batman after Justice League. You guys heard about this, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I did hear about that. There was an article released by The Hollywood Reporter, I believe, that talked about Ben Affleck, a.k.a. Batfleck, not even being in Matt Reeves' The Batman movie, that they were going to find a way to, yep. quote-unquote, gracefully uh, usher him out of the DC cinematic universe. No, yeah. And what do you guys what do you guys think of Ben Affleck first off? Well, I think that based off of the one film he's been in that we've seen, uh, <laughs> he was a good Batman. He was in a, an older Batman. They really got that down. I think that the problem with the whole Batman thing is that he, because he's older and Ben Affleck isn't like, you know, like much of an action star. Um, it's hard probably for him to maintain doing a bunch of these Batman movies and doing a whole franchise. But there's so much more, especially with the story of Batman, that we could that they could build upon um, that I don't think that necessarily is a bad thing, especially if they use it, if they do really like gracefully have him bow out, that somebody takes the mantle. Kind of like how they did in Dark Knight Rises where they quote-unquote Robin. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Spoilers. Spoilers. If you didn't see it. If you haven't seen it by now, well, I'm sorry. To watch it. Yeah. 2012 was a few years ago. Yeah. Well, at the end of that, there's kind of like a Robin-esque character. Uh, it is Robin. Which is basically build. Robin. Uh, that eventually, supposedly, takes up the mantle of Batman. And I think that would be a good idea um, to have somebody 
kind of introduced in that way um, and technically be much younger and you can build a new uh, franchise around that character yeah. um, building off the legacy of Batman versus having to just have him do these one-off you know I'm brooding over the death of my parents uh, <laughs> trying to, to be you know oh, the Batman. vengeance of the night kind of thing you know there's a whole different set of motivations there for him well anyways he is going to be in the Batman <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just to let everybody know at the uh, Comic Con uh, Justice League uh, panel he literally said, this This is his quote, Let me be clear, I'm the luckiest guy. Batman is the coolest fucking part in any universe, DC or Marvel. First off, potty mouth. Second <laughs> off, he also added, I'm so excited to do it. I think there's this misconception that because I'm not directing it, I'm not doing it, but I'm so excited to be Batman. So he's definitely on for the Batman. They they really didn't, you know, obviously haven't talked too much about what else is going on afterwards. Ben Affleck is, what, he's pushing 50, right? So, I he's mean, not he, the Tom Cruise fifty either. So. Yeah, he's not Tom Cruise fifty. Yeah, and, as I mentioned, his you know Tom Cruise treats his body like a temple. Ben Affleck, on the other hand, yeah. And hmm. there's, I mean, it's no secret. I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of this Batman. Yeah. Um, which is I think, kind of ironic. I'm gonna jump in. Sorry, because when this first was announced, way back when, Marco was not quite on board. No, he I was, was not, not a fan at all. I was super pissed. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Daredevil? He, he's going to be Batman? <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing that came to mind. I was like, wow, this is horseshit. And then I started to see some uh, some pictures of him in the Batsuit. And then, obviously, Batman v Superman came out. And I know this is probably the third time I'm mentioning it on the pod. But, yes, I like that movie. I think he's great. And it's sad that they may have to think of other options because of his age and the age of Batman in the universe. But like you guys were saying, there are other avenues that can go. Robin could take the mantle. I know there's rumors about a Nightwing movie being in up in the air. I know in the comics, and this is kind of out there, but in the comics they've used the Lazarus, the yeah. Lazarus Pit also. Which and for that, anybody who doesn't know is basically... The fountain of youth. Yeah, it rejuvenates yeah. you, makes you younger, and it could... Brings you back from the dead. Brings you back from the dead. Um, there there was some other announcement in uh, at Comic-Con that was mentioned, Flashpoint, and they could do something there that could Alter give them other the timeline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they, they have their options, and uh, we just have to expect that there is a possibility that he could be replaced later down the line all right uh moving on from the news here uh the upcoming captain marvel film starring brie larson is actually going to be set in the 90s so it's actually a prequel before iron man which is technically chronologically the first marvel film in the marvel cinematic universe so this will take place almost what 10 years beforehand and the bad guys in it or the villains are going to be the alien race the scroll and the film will also be starring Samuel L. Jackson as a Nick Fury with two eyes. That's crazy. <laughs> Didn't know that was an option. So that means he right. lost it during a scroll war? Or possibly. possibly while opening a can of tuna and it shot up into his eye. I'm hoping the latter. <laughs> so Captain Marvel, who now now what is her character? Captain Marvel is a superhero. She's basically the female version of Superman. Yeah. For Marvel. In Marvel, basically. She's, it's it's the it's the character Carol Danvers and she 
uh, is one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. She can fly, she's super strong. Those have been some of her powers. Her powers have varied in the, in the comics. But um, let, let's just say she's supposed to be super freaking badass. And the scroll uh, come in and they start... Uh, there are these aliens that can impersonate other superheroes and start uh, infiltrating uh, some superhero groups. And I'm not sure if they're going to use that because it's a prequel, technically a prequel to the Avengers. Right, so there wouldn't be really any superheroes. That was public. Yeah. Or not many, at least. Unless they're going to do the infiltration of S.H.I.E.L.D. again, if Nick Fury's in it again. But I don't know if they're going to do something similar well, to it's Winter said, Soldier. It's, it's mm. said in the past, so I, I what my question is, is like, why isn't she around now? All right. Is she going to suddenly pop up in the new Avengers, the new Avengers Infinity War film, maybe? And then the backstory will be the Captain Marvel film? They, they said in an article in Variety that it, one possibility is that they want to really show off her her powers and for her to show up now in um in like the avengers timeline now she would she could completely like overpower any enemy and stuff and so it would be like what's the what's the point of you know having the avengers then if she can overpower like anybody and so they probably want to have her single-handedly deal with the conflict on her own to emphasize wow like she is like yeah. Super freaking powerful. And, you know, growing up in the 90s, too, it'd be kind of cool seeing how Marvel does something like this. Because I think yeah. the only time you've ever had a prequel in the past is the Fox X-Men films. Right. Days of Future Past and uh, Apocalypse set in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, the only tr- the only kind of prequel that they sort of had in the uh, MCU was Captain America, the first Avenger. But that was true. Back no, no, the that's 40s. true. Yeah. yeah, so this is more of like a modern day time, but I think it'd be interesting. I think also the scroll uh, timeline and also the scroll storyline has been really big in the comics. So it'd be nice for mainstream audiences to finally kind of see what that's all about. Yeah. Continuing our superhero theme here, just these are just two quick mentions at the end here. So Wonder Woman has officially become the top earning summer movie at the domestic box office right now. It just passed over three hundred eighty-nine million, so it actually made two million more dollars right now than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. That's amazing. That's a lot. Of- it's also a nice thing to know that a female-driven superhero film is the number one film of the summer, directed by a female as well. Yeah, that's and that's very that's, true. That's big news. It's I think, great. I think that's the biggest thing there is that uh, they need to take more chances with the directors and not saying that Zack Snyder is any you know is a terrible director or anything like that, but just with a franchise like this, they're trying to build from scratch and they're trying to accelerate. They should try to get more creative directors in um, in these films that they're trying to adapt from the comics to you know kind of make it a little more quirky, make it fun, entertaining. Um, just have an overall good balance right and I think yeah. having you know using that kind of train of thought will really help them um, with, with the kind of tone that they want to set for these movies yeah and what I liked about it is that it was still it, it's own it, it, it had funny moments high spirited moments but it was still different than Marvel and what's, that's what I liked right. about it and it shows that hey they're capable of making these movies like you said if they if they trust you know different directors with other visions right. they can make it happen very much so. And our last little uh, news item of the day here. Last time we brought up that, hey, maybe Daniel Craig is coming back to James Bond. We're still not sure if that's true, actually, but there is a confirmation today 
that the next James Bond film will be releasing on November 8th, 2019. So Bond is officially coming back, but we don't quite know who it's going to be yet. Not yet, but I'm sure they'll start releasing some info soon if they yeah. get a date on there. True. I feel like we're within like a week of them telling us if, you, if Daniel Craig is back right. or not. I feel like this is not something they're going to hold back from. Crossing my fingers here. Yeah, I hope he comes back for at least one more. Like we talked about, Same. like a proper film to bow out of, which would be really cool. Yeah. That's all the news for the pod. Moving on, we have a topic of the week provided here by Marco. It's the topic of the week. So our topic for this episode is a little bit different. It's uh, more in the world of uh, video games. And as you guys may or may not know, uh, the three of us happen to be huge video game fans. So I thought I would uh, pose a question here for modern gaming. Are microtransactions ruining games? And let me start off too by saying... Not we don't just go over just TV shows and movies here, like we've said before. We do a lot of uh, talking about really what interests us. Um, sometimes the topics might get more serious. Sometimes they're more entertainment orientated. But this time around, we're doing video games. So hey, yeah, hopefully this interests you too. Yeah, hopefully it does. If not, we're gonna have that timestamp on there so you can jump <laughs> right to that movie review. It's it's a yeah, it's a broad spectrum of topics that we're gonna be bringing up. And uh, if you if you are interested and you're not really uh, up to date with uh, video games or its lingo, so microtransactions or purchases are small transactions that occur with within the game or within the servers of the game that advance content, that give you additional gear or give you or extend the game in some way or fashion. So. My question is pretty much, do these transactions ruin the gaming experience? And uh, some examples, some game examples that I have are just four big names. Uh, Star Wars, like Star Wars Battlefront, Mass Effect, Destiny, and even uh, franchises like Battlefield have in some way or in some fashion had some sort of additional downloadable content that you purchase within game or within their servers. So... For this question, if it's a no, if is the no based on your own bias, for the love of the game, your history with the series, and also what makes it a good thing? If it's yes, what about it is frustrating, and what other solutions could the game developers use as an alternative to, to this option? Now, there's a lot of variations of microtransactions. Um, you've got in-game currency, like you mentioned, where you have essentially pay cash for cash to spend in the game. Right. Which uh, I think is more common maybe on mobile games. Right. A lot of right. mobile games have that option. Like, you think of your Candy Crushes or your Clash of Clans or anything like that. Yes. Um, so, so with that, uh, let's start with you, Nabil. What do you, what do you think? Do you think it ruins the gaming experience? For microtransactions, I think it, it really depends on the platform that it's on. So a great example is, again, like Candy Crush. So it's a one-player game. You play with a bunch of people uh, on your phone against them, kind of, just because you see what level they're at or whatever, and you want to get ahead of them. But really, it's just your game. You get stuck. You can wait a day or whatever it is to get more hearts or whatever the, the thing is they give you the, to move forward. Or you could pay $1.99, get some extra lives, and move forward. To get those extra moves to yeah. take that round. Yeah. So that, I think, is harmless. If you're willing to do that and you're willing to pay for that, that's great. Then there are games um, like uh, Mass Effect or Battlefield where um, you can unlock 
special weapons um, or get uh, special gear that gets you into the game that may make your character um, stronger, better than the competition, and you might have a leg up. There, for me, is is where the issue is. When you when you play a game that gives you a competitive edge over somebody else, it's no longer fair to me. Um, now, I get that, hey, I play this all the time. I think it's right. If I want to spend the money to get it instead of having access to be able to level it up on myself slowly and get it, then I should be able to do that. I suppose it's to each their own. But at the same time, if you're playing like in a multiplayer environment, or like a shooter where you're playing against each other and this person ha does have better gear than you and he didn't put in the time that you're going to put in to yeah. level up and actually get that, that, that does hurt the experience because a lot of people that play, um, you know, if you're a casual gamer, probably a lot of right. people that might be listening just may not rarely play and they try to jump in and enjoy the play for the first time, mm -hmm. they might find out that the um, experience is not as fun because these people are doing way better than they are because they have much better gear and they've, they've essentially paid for it instead of putting in the legwork for it. And I think that can kind of hurt the game experience. But let me let me expand on that also. Um, so you, you, you pay the game, and most of these games are going for like 60, 70 bucks. You pay the game, you expect in the full game, and a great like playthrough experience but then you come to find out that oh there's additional levels there's more things to do in the game but you got to pay extra on that does that ruin the experience for you then for for that i'd say no if we're adding so if i'm playing a game and i want extra levels to enhance my experience to be able to you know to, to extend the longevity of the game essentially mm -hmm. you know adding a couple levels and i just have to pay for it um though i think that it's a, a bit uh, shady that it's something that you probably already built a developer built for the game and now it's been uh, made available as an aside instead of available for the full game um i think that that's not necessarily a bad thing if you enjoy the game this much and were able to get a full story and said hey here's some bonus levels to be paying extra five six dollars for it um i don't see the harm in wanting to pay a little bit more if you want to continue experiencing something new in that game wouldn't you say that like dlc itself kind of extends the longevity of the game too like, especially if it's released several months later, I think that's the strategy of a lot of these um, like map packs or expansions is to kind of keep players interested in the game. Because there's so many video games that come out every single week now that it's hard to stay on one. I'm guilty of it, too. I have such a huge backlog, you know. Yep. I got games from, like, two years ago that's still playing, but I think deals... So, James, would you, would you say you're more, in like, on the yes side, then? That I mean, on the no side, that it doesn't ruin the gaming experience? Um, I... You got to differentiate it first. DLC is not microtransactions. Yeah. DLC map packs. That's not a microtransaction. And DLC is downloadable content. Yeah. Sorry, downloadable content. Um, microtransactions. I feel are like Nabil said on a lot of mobile games. They're free to download. Quotation mark. Right. They're free because at a certain point in the game, you're going to either get stuck, or you're going to want to keep playing. And the only way to do it, other than waiting, is to pay like ninety nine cents, dollar ninety nine, a pack of gold coins for twenty dollars. Those are microtransactions. I, I think that's up to for opinion, though, because even just if there's an article that came out on Business Insider that came out a couple years ago that's still relevant to today, that it's still even DLC is still technically considered a microtransaction. It is. I, it's I, a time. I, I, think, I think of a microtransaction as something that I could buy every single day. That's how I look at it, I guess. So Overwatch, loot crates, you know, yeah, you can buy one every single day. Or you can slowly build up and get one every three weeks if you play enough right right so you're so you're more on the on the on the no side then basically i'd say it only ruins it well i guess it, it depends on who you are too because i just don't play those fucking games man 
those little mobile games. You've seen my phone, Nabil. I got nothing on there, dude. <laughs> well, Fucking music and YouTube videos, but if if we're but if we're including DLC into the same realm and we're including like the big the big name games, like to if we were to change it to more of like our downloadable content and microtransactions ruining games, I guess. I would still say no, I guess, because it really comes down to who you are as a person and what you feel like your dollar's worth toward a game. Like Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront, Battlefield 1, I don't mind paying to buy extra maps because that's the only way that I even stay on a game to come back to try out a game like six months later. It's really hard for me nowadays with how busy my schedule is and how little I even get to play a game each night. And if you're playing a game that you know you already enjoyed and they've got an extension on something, I think that's not necessarily a bad Yeah, thing and I would do. say, too, adding to Marco's, like, bias toward things, I am probably am biased toward certain things. Like, Star Wars, I'm more bound to buy a season pass, which is where you pay ahead of time before yeah. you even know what's coming out. But you get all the DLC because you paid for it. But I think probably for those instances, I, I am a bit biased, and I'll buy it right off the bat because I'm like, yeah, I love Star Wars. Why not? But... Mobile wise, like I said, I I really feel microtransactions or mobile, or some of these free to play, multi, massive multiplayer online RPGs, MMORPGs, they have a lot of those kind of microtransactions now, like Star Wars, uh, The Old Republic, because the game is technically free, but to unlock other parts of the land, you have to pay for it. That's something that I think makes sense still, because technically that server servers cost a ton of money, a lot of money. to keep yeah. running, and then people will, can play the free things, but if you keep playing, like Nabil said, if you enjoy it, pay more money, man. A good example, I think, of for usage of microtransactions, of in-game currency, um, is Destiny. Um, Destiny, I'm a really big Destiny fan, and, um, and so it's basically a space shooter, and it's it's modeled after you can have a character and you can customize it and, and get certain guns and you just kind of play and level up and you get better gear. That's that's essentially the whole point of the game is you you spend a lot of time what they call grinding um, in the game to try to bring up your character's level so you can get all that nice gear. But they included microtransactions about halfway through the game's life cycle, but it was only applicable to cosmetic um, items, solely cosmetic. So you could... Uh, purchase special shaders which change the color of your gear you could purchase special emotes which were basically taunts that your character can do um you could buy special um special like horns for your car or something like it it, it had no impact on the gameplay it was strictly cosmetic and people spent money and bought that and customized it and they're really neat um and they even gave you a little taste of it they give you like 500 free coins or something like to try out with one or two things and um i think that's a really good use of it because it doesn't impact the other person who's really trying to struggle and build up and do all these things to accomplish getting that gear but you can still show off your uniqueness by making a few purchases to say well mine is still a little different because i've got this color because i paid for it or i got you know this uh special helmet or whatever else it is but it again had no real impact on the gameplay itself I'll add to that, I actually do agree with Nabil that it does suck on competitive games when you can buy things that either boost your power or items, but you can get super rare ones. That is probably the time where I feel like microtransactions suck because it doesn't give everyone an even playing field. I think that's where maybe because somebody can only afford one game at every six months. Seventy dollars is a lot of money. No, yeah. bucks is it a is. lot of money to spend on one game. You know, the, yeah, that's yeah. a big investment. No, and if someone has the ability, like they don't care, they have, maybe they're more financially stable than you, or 
you just keep buying shit, you know? <laughs> I've so, gone down a dark path, so, you know, it's like, shit, it just sucks sometimes, and especially when you're getting destroyed on a game, and it's like, well, it's just because I didn't put in 200 more dollars on top of this, so. So, I guess uh, for, for me, then, it's it's more on the no side, because I'm, I'm more, uh, or more on the yes side, excuse me, because I'm, like, I'm, I'm an old school guy when it comes to games and stuff. I'm used to something being released and, in an essence, being complete. I mean, it's it's cool that you know you get additional content and that you can uh, continue, I guess, the fun of the game. But uh, at at the same time, you know, the, like James was saying, there's there's two different gamers. There's there's gamers like gamers, gamers, and there's your casual gamer that plays every once in a while that you know comes back and revisits the game. And then you may wait. There may be weeks or months in between you playing, and then you come back and you see, oh, there's this all all this like new stuff, and it's like, wait, I gotta pay for it. It's now downloadable content or even some microtransactions or go from 20 to even, I think it's $50 for the premium pass on Battlefield. And it's like, I paid 70 bucks for a game. It's like, why don't I just buy a different game then and play that? And I guess that also is where the choice comes in where you can choose to be a hardcore gamer and continue the experience and, and pay the extra money for it. Um, or you can just say, fuck it and just continue to play whatever is available in, in front of you. And... In the way it can suck is that you know you'll have friends that play online and it's like you don't sometimes you won't have access to you know the new features that your friends are playing on and they may be playing on those new maps or those new features and you're stuck kind of like in limbo playing like the old stuff so um some solutions um battlefield now is doing this thing called premium friends where if you don't have the season pass for it somebody who does can then invite people on board and play along with you yeah. which is which i think is i think is a pretty cool solution as well too onto that where it's like hey if you're not fully invested you can get a taste for it and then based on that decide whether or not you can do the dlc or the microtransaction if you want because sometimes it's not even worth it to buy it you know some or and you're sitting there wondering it's like wow this is some you know crappy content i could you guys could have just released this for free um, part of the reason there's a, sometimes uh, an issue with the season passes, right? Because exactly. you don't really know. I mean, you're assuming there's a specific rollout schedule, but you don't really know when it's going to be released and what exactly is going to come with it. Or the quality of it right? versus the original content as well, too. So there's that. And um, another is, uh, you know, if you're a casual gamer versus a gamer gamer, some people may be, you know, on the side where they just want to experience that right now. They'll go ahead and buy it. You could do like an XP, earning XP as well too, where you earn enough XP and you can earn the content or something like that. So let me ask you this, Marco. Um, from a developer standpoint, right? If you've got online gaming um, as one of your components in a lot of uh, like the shooter games like Battlefield, your Call of Duty, Star Wars, back, you know, five, ten years ago, games could just be sold as a single campaign. Here you go, play, enjoy. They wash your hands of it. They make you a new game with the money from the sales. But now they do have servers running. People want to play online. You want to be able to also, like James was saying, engage players and keep playing at least for a year to two years before the next game rolls out. Um, do you think that, I mean, $60 is enough to maintain that kind of infrastructure? Do you think we should increase prices? Or do you think there's another way or that we should really just, you know, eliminate the pricing itself? As a whole, and just you know, when they feel that it's ready to close down those servers because they can't afford it anymore, um, then they can do that, and we should just wait for the next game so we can move on. 
Well, I know that sometimes they release uh, special or extended editions to where you pay like a higher price and then you earn it earns you that extra content as well too. Right. They could they could develop like different pricings where hey, you can pay the the base price and it'll give you just all the original content and maybe a few freebies here and there or there are these other prices that you could pay for the game that'll include everything that's released for that specific game. Isn't that just basically buying the season pass? Right. It pretty yeah. much is. If you look at the prices of any deluxe or gold version of a game, like any Ubisoft game coming up, Assassin's Creed, the gold version of the game is basically you're just bundled in with the season pass, basically. And a game that did, your to your point, Marco, um, a game that did that, again, I'm going to go back to Destiny. Destiny, you could have the core game, and um, once they started releasing the the season pa- the DLCs um, and different maps, you could still buy the core game for, I think, at a discounted price now at that point, it was like $40 or something, yeah. and play all that, and you can even play in the same world as everyone, except they made tailored playlists for, like, multiplayer versions that had only the DLC. So if you didn't have any of this new content or the special new maps, you couldn't touch it. But you could still play the core game, and then they had, you know, the, the next version up for an extra twenty dollars that had the extra ones and they were doing that with for the two three years that the game was out they they had yeah. different versions yeah. of it that you could still do it so they did each, do that each time basically yeah. an expansion came yeah out. and again i'm not bashing these developers or these games honestly i don't give a shit because i'm still mm-hmm. gonna play All right yeah. but i'm not you know i just thought it'd be like something interesting to ask to see like is, is this something that's really like um that gamers are really enjoying are they are they are they really bought in <laughs> no pun intended are they really but bought into these transactions or is it something that hey do some people are like hey what the hell i just paid like this amount of money for it and you want me to pay more to continue playing more of this game so i just thought it was something interesting to kind of bring up and sort of debate kind of throw around the table and yeah. kind of see like what other opinions are i think that it's important for people to remember when playing anything or even watching a movie or anything that um, your wallet speaks volumes. So if you're going to, you know, want to speak against or out on something, you know, don't pay for it. And yeah, stay consistent with that because the let more people that do not pay into something, the less likely that's going to become continue being a trend. When we keep making Transformer movies <laughs> that, that well, look I, great, <laughs> but the plot is a little thin and they're making, you know, breaking records... You can't complain about it as well that people want. You're going to spend money on it. The same thing kind of with games. you know? Exactly. So, yeah. I think, you know, it's not going to ever end unless people stop buying it. But unfortunately, DLC microtransactions pretty much keep a lot of these companies afloat nowadays. They're the status yeah. quo for sure, too. Yeah, I don't... Th- one, of th- one of the things that the article also said is, is that a lot a lot of these new games, they have, like, big movie budgets. Like, yeah. Some yeah. hundreds of millions Some of dollars. Some cost more than certain movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I don't, I don't I don't see it ever disappearing going forward. I think it, if anything, it's gonna when everything goes fully digital one day, maybe something might happen. But you know, like like you said too, I like these games too. I buy the DLC, I, I pay stuff. I don't I I, I want to say I don't really do the microtransaction part of it, like the little things. Like I'll get caught up on a game once in a while, and out of nowhere, I'm like, the hell am I doing? Fifty dollars later, it just. It, I'm yeah. getting a new skin on a gun, so yeah. I'm gonna pay for that. Yeah, it just it, it like going back a little further. It's just it, it just sucks when it's like you can either pay two dollars now or you can wait a month. It's like damn. Yeah. And you know, being American, we don't we don't have the patience for that crap. We're like, no, nah, I'll just do it now. I don't want to work for my shit. So, uh, moving on now, we are gonna do our mini review of Kiki's Delivery Service. 
Kiki's Delivery Service is the second movie that we've watched in sort of a Studio Ghibli kind of a movie marathon going on this summer. It started with the first film was uh, My Neighbor Totoro. And this is the second one. Um, a lot of movie theaters right now are having a Studio Ghibli film once a month going on from, uh, started in June, going all the way to November this year. Some really good films. You get one night where it's in Japanese, another night when it's in uh, English dubbed. Something to kind of look at. Uh, we talked about in our previous, previous, previous pod that you only would have heard if you'd know us really well. <laughs> <laughs> Me and the villain, Marco... We talked about how Studio Ghibli films are kind of a stepping stone into anime. They're not as super crazy like a lot of Japanese anime films are. Yeah. They're um, more grounded. They're very grounded. They have a kind of a theme. Usually surrounds something with nature or family. A lot of strong female protagonists yeah. in a lot of these films too, which is really cool. Personally, for a lot of these, I've seen all of them as well. And I think every one of them has something that's really well done in them. They have a certain kind of animation style, too, that's very similar to each other, but sometimes totally different, which is kind of weird to say, but the films themselves are really, really well done animated-wise. For a movie that's been out for almost 30 years, a lot of these films look can stand up to animated films that come out today. Anything They look better than almost anything that's on TV. I 100% agree with that yeah. after watching... Kiki's Delivery Service, and what previously watching My Neighbor Totoro, the the animation, the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. It's yeah. stunning. Yeah, Hayao Miyazaki, almost the director of these, the majority of the Studio Ghibli films, almost comes at these films like he's he's filming like an actual live action film. So a lot of these shots and a lot of the animation facial expressions are very more grounded in reality as opposed to kind of the over the topness of some anime, especially during the time. But uh, a little um, description of the film. Kiki's Delivery Service is about a young witch on her mandatory year of independent life finds fitting into a new community difficult while she supports herself by running an air courier service. So this came out in 1989. How old wow. was everybody here when that came out? Uh, I might not have even been two at that time. <laughs> wow. Wow. So I, I, was, I was six. <laughs> I was six years old. I'm old. I know. We've already established this. I was about one, maybe? So, just to, just to let everybody know, I definitely didn't see this movie like coming out. I believe it came out 1989 in Japan, and then later on, like the re-release of this film was it still in like, the early 90s. But this is actually one of the first Studio Ghibli films I ever watched as a kid. They used to replay it on the Disney Channel like a lot. They did, yeah. I, did. I don't know if it, you guys have, have you, had you guys ever seen this one before we watched it. Yeah, I have. I've seen it before. I have not, it Mark. So your it. first time watching it, Mark. Yeah. Okay, so what did you guys? Let's start with Marco. Then did you actually did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. It it was oh, man. The story was really well written. The animation again was uh, fantastic, and um, I know I said this about my neighbor Totoro. But the musical score was beautiful. Definitely, it, 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 the way it, it matched like this the scenery, what was going on, um, it was just perfectly in sync and um, pure genius, in my opinion. Yeah, you sent me a text <laughs> and you were like, "This movie's amazing." I didn't really yeah. think you would like it as much as like 
When Marco said it, it actually got me excited. I was like, there you go, Marco. I, well, I thought that the, the themes that this movie visited, I thought were, were something that could speak to anyone and everyone. Um, it, it just had to do with uh, the story of uh, a teen growing up yeah. and finally facing you know, the, the real world. And not really having uh, faltered before in life. And I thought that that was something that was very relatable. Where even if you if you pick... A, it, it's, it, it, so Kiki is sent out to a uh, city in order to find out what skills she's she's good at. And yeah, it's what, kind of, I'd say it's kind of like a fantasy world in a way still. Where yeah, people yeah. know witches are real. Yeah. Y- yeah. Yeah. And j- before and we go okay any further than <laughs> two, just uh did you guys watch it in English or Japanese? English. So we're all staying ignorant, okay? No. Yeah. So <laughs> 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 Not in English too. Does <laughs> this version of the film, by the way, Kiki's voiced by Kirsten Dunst, like a very young Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. And her cat, by the way, Gigi, is voiced by the late uh Phil Hartman. Which is yeah. really cool. I did not know that. Yeah, he doesn't have too many lines. Outside of that, there's there's a couple of other randoms. But before we go in, into what the movie kind of represented, Bill, what was your opinion of the movie too? Um, I I also liked it a lot. Um, I think that the way uh, the plot was kind of put together as a whole was very good for um, for for children, especially to get because sometimes you see a children's film and they have a very Easy plot to follow, but it really gets complex like halfway through the movie. And this mm-hmm. really kind of kept the tone to keep it, you know, she's a preteen, teenish, um, going through transition in, in her life, you know, and um, trying to make it on her own. And it it wasn't like overly complex. So any, I, I think a young child could watch this and understand what's going on and still find things cute about like the cat that's in, you know, that's Kiki's little cat, Gigi, Gigi. or... Um, the the kind of shortcomings or if you want to say of of being on your own and being a young woman um also you know working dealing with strangers and how how uh to be accepted in a new community like all these themes seemed um to be told very well within um a very short and limited story arc like it's it it really is an a to b film like here's the issue here's the resolution but um, everything in between and everything she has to go through to get there, it, it's very, uh, very well done. I think, and the animation was just was great. Like you, you could look at that and think it was a film that was easily, you know, done not even ten, ten years ago. Yeah, know? and I will say this came out a year after My Neighbor Totoro, and I think just from even a storytelling point of view, it's even even though it, it's it's like you said from A to B. I think Kiki's Delivery Service, for me at least, has a better meaning overall. Yeah. That's more relatable because we're older. Yeah. Like, Totoro is very much a children's film, while I think Kiki's Delivery Service is kind of more of like a teenager to young adult film. Even though it's about a girl that's 13, I think everybody can relate to the things that she's gone through, especially now that we're much older men. (laughs) (laughs) Sitting around a table. I'm not going to relate to a young lady, but you know. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely been hit on by plenty of men coming to my bakery to ask me my number. <laughs> no, um, no, I just my quick opinion of it, I, I, I absolutely love this film. This is one of my probably top three Studio Ghibli films, but um, it's got fantastic animation, 
I actually think the English performances are really well done. That's one of the good things about the Studio Ghibli films is that they are very meticulous with their dubs. A lot of Japanese films, a lot of any film that's kind of translated from another country, and that goes the same way from English to another country as well. They don't always have the best kind of uh, adaptation to their language, yeah. Um, and they kind of take the script really literally. But for the uh, for for the Studio Ghibli, they take very good care uh, of how they want to translate it and. And what you know, what is being said in Japanese um, is not necessarily going to be directly translated in English. They're gonna they, they kind of make sure that it makes sense in both uh, both language yeah. languages. Um, and so any I think any Studio Ghibli film, at least that I've seen, that's been that I've listened to it dubbed, um, has always had a really good translation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving into what what did you guys think? So overall, you guys kind of. I think we both we all agree on it here. It's about kind of growing up. It's about maturity, I'd say, because Kiki, when she comes to city, is very naive about how people act and how people treat you. And I think that's almost a reflection on real life. Yeah, I, I say it's it's all that as as well as um, overcoming your failures as well too. Definitely, because it even if you are really talented in some area or another, and you find what your niche is in life. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to go smooth along the way, and also you're, doesn't you're, mean people are going to like you. Exact, exactly. You're gonna, you're gonna have, uh, you're gonna have bumps. You're gonna fall, but um, one, one scene that really sticks out to me is when um, I can't remember exactly what's going on, but the crowd is chanting like the citizens down below. It's like a crowd. They're chanting to Kiki. Don't give up. Don't give up. You talk about the up. yeah. You're talking about the very last scene, actually. Yeah, and it's and I think it's something that really you know, it can really speak volumes to any anyone who's like faced a hard time in life and who has like taken a big fall. It's like hey, uh, take some time, pick yourself back up, and keep going. Nice. Uh, overall, last thoughts on it, guys. I think the uh, it's it's a good coming of age story. Um, even though don't get put off by the premise of it being a witch and you know there's that it's just solely accepted in the world because they started off really early on telling you here's a setting and you just roll with it and it yeah, yeah it, it makes, actually never gets weird about yeah, it yeah it doesn't get weird it's just it's just a thing um that that's a part of the world and i think it's actually it looks like it's set in like um like northern europe like, like sweden yeah or something i was gonna like say the same thing yeah um, and so just, just for that alone, you could tell that they're really trying to be grounded. It's a very grounded animated film, um, very well done story-wise, you know, it, like I said, it's a very good story arc, um, and it's, it's worth watching, you know, it, even if it's not, if, not for your kids, if you don't have any children, um, just as an adult appreciating a good animation, um, just like any Pixar film or anything like that, um, this is definitely one that's on that same level that uh, you should you make it a part of your experience. All right, moving on, we're going to do a total flip here on our main review here of the movie Dunkirk. Looking into this here, just to give you guys a quick little synopsis according to IMDb. Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire, and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle in World War II. This is directed by Christopher Nolan. Who's most famous for the Batman Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, and Interstellar. And this movie stars a couple of unknown people, actually, but 
I'd say the main one is Fine Whitehead as a boy named Tommy. He's a young man. Uh, Mark Rylance is a uh, civilian named Mr. Dawson. And then we follow Tom Hardy as a World War II RFA pilot named Farrier. Uh, what'd you guys think about this? I thought I thought it was great. I'm I'm a huge fan of Christopher Nolan. He's definitely one of my favorite modern directors. Um, I don't think I've seen any movie of his where I come out disappointed, and that's just my personal opinion. But I think he's one of the greats. Um, and this movie was epic and phenomenal. I I, I second that. I think he's very good at uh, taking a very complex story. And, and making you feel uh, very much a part of it, you know, just yeah. telling the story. Not And in this case, it's not just about dialogue or anything uh, about, the, it's, it's more about the context of the film. It's what you see, what's happening, the situation. And you're able to follow along really well and, and still very, feel very uh, empathetic towards the people, the soldiers, um, and what they're going through and how they're essentially trying to make it out alive. Um, once again, I like I really like this one too. I agree with Marco. I think Christopher Nolan is probably one of the premier directors of our time here, especially with such unique films as like Interstellar. Uh, this one is a little more grounded on it. He's come back to a you know retelling of an actual event, which is really cool. Because let's face it, Batman's not real, so. He's not. As much as we want to think, <laughs> as much as we want to think, Bane broke someone's back in real life. <laughs> I know what really happened. Uh, no, all serious and not, uh, all all kidding aside, here, really good film. Some of the best cinematography I've ever seen. Once again, from I thought he could never top what I saw on Interstellar, and then this film is just like whoa. There's shots that are so beautiful. There's the shots of the Spitfires flying through the air. Uh, they had put IMAX cameras on the side of the wings. They designed it so they could fit inside of the plane. So when you're seeing the dogfights, you're actually seeing a real dogfight. It's not CG. I, I got to chime in real quick. What yeah. you just said about every time you think that Christopher Nolan has outdone himself, he just comes back and does it again. Yeah. That That's how I felt like watching this movie. I'm just like, wow, this, this can this guy just like stop shocking me right now because it's happening all over again. And it's it's that same like, Feeling it fills you with goosebumps, and like you said, like the fact that they're using practical effects is yeah. it makes it even even better. A lot of it is. Um, I will go over spoilers about the pacing too, but I think it's really well done. There's a ton of great little moments in there that kind of show you the little guy's perspective on here. They show a lot of what the civilians had to do during this crazy evacuation and people's call of dude call of duty to like get down there and what they had to do for their country to help out certain th people and to bring back as many troops as possible. It really shows you the kind of, um, it really conveys a really good way of showing you that back in the forties, people, it was a lot different people. I'm not saying it doesn't have any more, but the people that are shown in this film are very heroic, whether it be a pilot, whether it be a civilian, whether it be a, a, just a kid trying to get back, everybody, as their own moment in this film, and I think it's really well done. How did you guys see the movie, though? What format? This one came out in pretty much every kind of format you can imagine. There was normal, you can just see it as a normal film, there's IMAX, there's 70mm, there's IMAX 70mm. Nabil, you saw it in 70mm IMAX, right? That's right. It was, um, I think, in my opinion, probably the best way, if you can, to watch it. Um, 
in the theaters is in his IMAX 70 millimeter. It's it's first of all he shot with IMAX cameras um, a lot of this film and seventy percent of it. Yeah, and and that is not an easy thing to do first of all, but it it makes all the difference if you watch a regular film um, in in the theaters and then you compare it to just watching an IMAX film itself. It's not just about the bigger screen. It's about how much more you see. It really makes you feel immersed into the picture. Watching it in 70 millimeter just adds that whole different level of realism to it. It, it really makes it uh, makes you feel like you're in there with them. Like you'll get lost in whatever is around you and you'll be fully, uh, like I said, immersed into the movie and feel like you're a part of it and, and, and kind of just looking with that, essentially like a bird's eye view of what's been going on all around you. Yeah. I'd say right off the bat, as soon as they showed the Star Wars trailer in 70mm, the special Star Wars trailer, I was like, this is going to be nuts. And right in the opening sequence, it just opens up. The entire screen just balloons open. And it's like, dude, am I am I sitting with these guys? Yeah. It's like that crazy. The sound is insane. I would highly recommend IMAX 70mm. Marco, you saw it normal, right? Yeah, I'm the cheap bastard that saw it uh, normal. Hey, also, I'm the only one at this table who saw the movie by himself, okay? Yeah. I couldn't, like, no one was free to watch this movie. And by the time I finally made the decision to just go, I'm just going to go by myself. I had like, prior engagements, okay? <laughs> all the 70 millimeter showings, like, stopped at, like, 10. Yeah. So I ended but up seeing it. I heard it still looks good even normal, right? E even in standard, I was still blown away. And um, I, I can't speak to how immersed I felt, but I can tell you, I, I sure as shit felt like I was in there. I, and that probably goes along with my bias of really loving Christopher Nolan's work. But um, just the, the shots and the fact that I also read that they put cameras on the plane, that uh, Christopher Nolan even rode on one of the, on actually the only real Spitfire that they had while filming to know how to film his angles and make it look like a real dogfight. Um, yeah, it, it the realism was just incredible. And uh, going off of the, the sound, Hans Zimmer again. Wow. Um, what, a, what, a, what a composer, man. Uh, some people give him shit and say that, oh, he's not that great. Man, go watch this movie and listen to that score. Um, the way he recorded it, the way that... Uh, there's this feeling of like a ticking clock in the background just like making you like feel sort of anxious and uh feeling like you know yeah. time is of the essence right now um he yeah. actually used uh christopher nolan's stopwatch to go off the basis for the score and i thought that was incredible yeah it adds it adds so much tension to so many of those films the the, the moments in the film that it's like you're like waiting for it, and it's like click, 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 and you're like, God damn it, man, what's going on? You know? Yeah. The the way also that's uh, in in some scenes where the uh, the Nazi airplanes are coming down, and they sound so fucking monstrous. Like he made them sound alive, and it was it was freaking terrifying. Yeah. Like that. Wow, these guys were were going through that and hearing these sounds like psychologically. Like I I can't imagine what that like what that experience could be like in real life. But um, I say they, he, that Christopher Nolan did a great job at capturing the realism of this film and making it feel huge. Do you guys, did you guys enjoy the fact that it's three interweaving storylines? Not going to spoilers yet on it, of course, 
and that it, it not not one character is quite the main person we follow. It doesn't actually just follow one person. It really f- technically follows three groups of people. I think that helps the the whole kind of overall plot of the movie itself because it is about the you know the city itself, Dunkirk, and people getting out of there. So. If you're focusing on one character, it doesn't make you feel like it's about everybody anymore. It feels about that one person. Um, and having it separated out to three different stories, um, even though they all, see, they all are intertwined, um, really makes you feel um, like, like you were saying earlier, James, about you, know, you have the sea, the land, um, and essentially the, the air. And all that is happening at the same time. And it, it kind of builds that tension of saying, what's going to happen? Who's, who, you know, is somebody going to get hurt? Are they going to make it out? What, you know, what's going on? And you feel for everything that's going on in there instead of just the one person. I think it, it helps, especially with the pacing that you're saying too. And because the, the evacuation itself could have been really direct, but I think intertwining the story of the guy on the boat, the guy on the plane, and the guys on the land, basically, it just works really well in a way that it interweaves the storylines together. And it, it, it gives you hints at what's to come and what happened, kind of, kind of a, kind of a vibe to it. I, I agree. It it makes you care about uh, about all everyone as a whole. You're not just focused on just one character. Or you're not uh, excluding another. And I think that was the whole point of the film: is you want you want everybody to make it out of there. Right. You you really start to care, like I said, for like the whole like unit, if you will, and that it, it really brings the, the whole story together. And I, I like the fact that Christopher Nolan filmed it that way. Yeah, too. We're going to go into some spoilers here now. So if you haven't seen the film, now would probably be a good time to not listen to this. Don't uh, listen to us anymore. Yeah, you'll <laughs> see a time on the description here where you can jump ahead to our little outro so you can hear about what we're going to go over next time. Um, so you're going to hear a little sound here in a moment and right after that we're going to jump right in so thanks for watching if this is where you're ending it at um, enjoy the we'll see you next out- time <laughs> enjoy the I, it's like enjoy the outro I guess but overall thought on it though is we do recommend it all three of us yeah yep. I must watch highly recommend it but uh, spoilers are coming up so here you go So that's the spoiler cue here. Only a couple things here to go over because there's not too much to spoil because you know this thing actually happened in real life. Yeah. Did you guys? Because we talked about pacing, we talked about the cuts. Uh, what was your guys' favorite moment of the movie? Since we we obviously all really liked this thing. Um, I I enjoyed the civilian aspect of it where they were on the sea and all the uh, basically the yachts and the sailboats were out trying to get the soldiers. Um, from from the beach back to uh, England, um, I, lo- I like that timeline the most. But the the biggest scene is just seeing the story of the the family that's on the boat. I don't I'm sorry, I don't remember their names, but um, essentially it's the Mr. Fa- Dawson. Mr. Dawson yeah. is the father mm-hmm. of, and then the, his younger boy it is Peter. Peter. Um, and I, my favorite scene in there is essentially where they have all the, uh, as many soldiers as they can put up on their boat and a, uh, a Nazi plane comes by 
is, is passing by and sees them and is essentially about to take aim and shoot them down. And Mr. Dawson, kind of not stressing under pressure or anything, times it just perfectly to be able to um, get the boat out of the way of the line of fire. The and balls on that guy. I right? know, just like didn't even think twice about it, just did it. Made it just just barely made it, but they just they just got clipped a little bit, but made it out the way, and then knew that the planet had bigger fish to fry, and just kind of moved on from there. Wasn't gonna make another pass. And then he gives them tea afterwards. Yeah, did yeah. you notice yeah, that? Yeah, I did. I was like, whoa. It's like, and we're moving on now. That was pretty tense. Yeah. Like I was on the edge of my seat when that was happening, and I was like, oh wow, is is he really doing this? Like the, that whole sequence was just really good. And I, I'd say it's probably one of the most. Uh, tense scenes of the entire film mm -hmm. um my mine would probably be uh towards the ends um and it's when uh tom hardy's character i believe his name's farrier he's one mm -hmm. of the pilots uh fighting on the allied forces and his plane is completely out of fuel and he's just gliding in the air and he's attempting to land on the beach and that whole entire sequence with the camera just following him, the scenery in the background, the music, it all is just going along perfectly in sync. And it's just such a beautiful shot to where he just finally lands. And even like him, like raising his, like burning the plane, raising his arms and getting captured by the Nazis. What a good shot, by yeah. It was hard to jump in, but yeah. when he's looking at the plane burning, I don't know, especially in the seven millimeter, dude. That shot is like, I was like, man, frame this fucking photo, dude. dude. It looks so good. It, but it was, yeah, it was such an incredible moment that I, I was, I was just in in awe of the entire sequence, and I was like, wow, just fucking amazing. So that's my favorite part. I'd say my favorite part of the film itself. I don't know, there's so many, man. Really. Like Ferrier <laughs> shooting down the the German plane when he's out of gas. Yeah, cool. to it's like it's really cool because it's like so tense and you're like, damn it, is he gonna die? I'm like, goddamn, Tom Hardy can't survive any of his movies either. <laughs> but then like you see him go down and then like the people start cheering. Or I lo I love I absolutely love the scene when the boats come out of the fog and the people realize it's like their their own citizens coming to save them and they all yep. start cheering. Like I, I was like I almost got emotional. I was like, don't do it, James. Nabil is the one who cries during movies. <laughs> yeah. Imagine being there down. by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Some guy's like, this guy, this guy's crying over here, bro. <laughs> the hell's this problem? Um, that was that's probably one of my favorite ones. Um, I think a really great scene though is when the young guys are all in the deserted boat together and it starts getting shot up and it starts leaking water. I think that's like one of the most tense scenes I in the agree. movie. Oh, yeah. Especially when Alex, the guy that's played by um, Harry Styles from One Direction, is super, super in the face of Gibson, the French guy, because yeah. he thinks he's German. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's like, he's a fucking German. <laughs> I was like, man, they said fuck like three times. I'm like, this isn't rated R. <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, oh, okay. I guess we're going to more <laughs> can, than one Can fucking... I just say, um, I'm not a fan of One Direction, but... Man, Harry Styles is really good in the movie. I, just, I, just want to, I didn't want to yeah, say it either, but man, he was kind really of looking forward to what he does next. Man. Christopher Nolan didn't even know who he was when he cast it. I think he knew, but he didn't know how, as, how popular he was yeah. until his daughter told him. And he's like, "That's Harry Styles." Like, oh, okay. <laughs> he's like, "Who?" But um, no, that scene itself is really well done, and 
like I said, the, the entire film is, is just really well done. It's it's one, it's it's only like an hour forty five, but it seems like it's just like it's smooth. The whole it's one like, tense segment after another. Like yeah. in each one, you just don't know what's gonna happen. What's yeah, the yeah, The first two minutes of film, it's like oh, they're just walking. This, oh my god, they're <laughs> getting shot. <laughs> for for a film that doesn't have a lot of dialogue, which by the way, just letting you know, there's not a lot of talking in the movie. A lot of it is just like a bunch of like sequences, but the way it's filmed, it's like there's. There's not a dull moment in that movie. It's it's just going boom, 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 and you're you're just there like watching in awe of what of what is like happening in front of you. So, um, yeah, just great film. Do you guys do you guys just one thing before we end it here? Do you guys prefer uh, Nolan maybe doing something more grounded in reality like this, or do you prefer more of his kind of sci-fi stuff like Interstellar, Inception, or do you prefer going back to like comic books? I, I mean, I think that he's, um, like I was saying earlier on, um, he's a great storyteller, like, just in general. Like, him and his brother, when they write together and they mm-hmm. they get um, they get this idea in their head, he knows how to put that paper in the, in the film. Um, and I, I don't think there's a genre that he couldn't do. I mean, he's done other films like Insomnia, Memento, I thought was a great film, and that's mm-hmm. kind of similar to this, where the timeline is in a different order. Um, so, I, I think that... Um, he should expand to different genres. If he if he was on maybe a rut for whatever reason trying to do the sci-fi stuff, it, they were all excellent movies. But I don't see any reason why he can't try to do other things. What would you like to see him do next? He could probably tell a really good action adventure uh, film. That, that's, yeah, that's kind of on, on my on my mind too. Yeah, but I I think that he would excel at doing something more grounded like this as well. Kind of differentiate his stuff and and ex- expand his spectrum. Um, I would enjoy it. I like that he does original stuff. Um, I wouldn't not ever talk about it. I I think he'd probably really be able to do a really good Bond film, to be honest, if he could get there's, it together. Yeah, there there's been a lot of rumors about him bringing up Tom Hardy about being the next James Bond and such. Um, that would be interesting. Yeah, I almost feel like he'd be the one to actually make like this Akira film finally. That would be yeah, very stylized kind of film. He'd have to. Something would be like the that. perfect director for it, in, in my opinion. Or, hands down. Yeah, something like that, or like. Just seeing like how he brings back genres here, like it could be kind of cool if he did a western or something too. Western would be great. Just oh. saying, just trying to mix it up. But exactly. I think with good story, you know, something that's yeah. really storytelling um, as a whole is what you rely on, not the dialogue only. Yeah, I think anything that he does is going to work out well. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, overall thoughts, last thoughts. You know, I, I'm pretty sure we all agree on it too. Go out and see Dunkirk. This movie's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and according to these two guys, uh, watch the seventy millimeter or IMAX seventy mil seventy millimeter because uh, I know I probably will. Yeah, if it's in your area, I definitely recommend. I don't. I wouldn't recommend it for every film, but for this movie specifically, I highly recommend watching it seventy millimeter. But if you can't afford it for whatever reason, definitely make sure you go see it in the theater either way. Yeah, it, this is a movie that deserves to be seen in a big screen. Go out and see it. This is this is one of the best World War II films that's come out in quite some time. So go for it. It's an experience. Check it out. All right. Well, that's our podcast for today. That's number two here. Thanks for everybody. First off, we just want to let everybody know thank you so much. The last two weeks here, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. Uh, the response, the reviews, just seeing how many people have actually listened to our podcast. We cannot thank you guys enough. And really quick announcement, our Facebook page is up and running. 
the Movie Pals. Feel free to follow us, like us, share us. We'll be posting more news and episodes uh, via that route. And also continue to follow us on Twitter. We really appreciate it. Um, at Movie Pals Pod. And again, we appreciate all the feedback. Keep it coming. Thank you for sticking around this long, even though it's our only second episode. But we look forward to doing more of this with you. And how do they reach us on Facebook again? The actual name is at uh, Movie Pals Pod. Also, if you do a search like that on Facebook, you should be able to find us that way. We use the same name as our Twitter handle to make it easier for you guys to find us um, on Facebook. And uh, if you guys want to reach us individually still, not only, like you said, uh, Marco brought up that we do have that Facebook page and the Twitter page, you can find me, James, at at Rufio1617. You can find Marco at at Markor. And um, you can find me, Nabil, at nlothae. That's N-L-O-T-H-A-E. In two weeks, we're going to have another podcast up here. That film is going to be one that I hope is good. Just to let everybody know, we have done only good films so far. <laughs> I'm telling you, one of these, one of these, it's only two, so our percentage has been low, but one of them's going to suck eventually. Yeah, we're waiting for our first dud. Yeah, I'm hoping it's not The Dark Tower, because that's what we're doing. That's a series that is very close and dear to my heart. Trailer-wise, looks awesome, but hey, you know how trailers can be. <laughs> they can be deceiving. All right, well, until next time, guys, this is James, Barco, and Nabil. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>